Sup, nerds, it's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I am joined, as always, by my trusted co-host, the Sue Bird to Megan Rapino. It's Adam Alwala. Hey, Adam, how's it going? It's going well. They're engaged. It's finally happening. Bird sounds. Bird noises, bird noises. <laughs> caw, caw, caw. Ooh, we'll have bird watch, but now it'll be bird wedding watch. I'm elated. Ooh, I'm just realizing that we need to try to come up with some wedding hashtags for that. <gasps> Ooh, okay. That'll be our, our homework because I feel like bird pino isn't very great or rap bird. So we'll have to do some digging. I'll tell you what, to anybody, uh, listening to this, if you want to give us your bird hashtags, <laughs> tweet at us. Let us know. Horse underscore hoops. Yes. Use the bird app to talk about the bird wedding. But before we talk about basketball, because that's what this podcast is definitely about, we have to take a little <laughs> bit of a break and get ready to discuss that fully in a segment of the show we like to call the Teal Memorial Locker Room. Let's do it. You know who is making us just as happy, probably equal happiness as... Megan and Sue are with each other at their new engagement life together. (laughs) Tell me who, and very succinctly asked. It's our newest patron, Elizabeth Agathon. So we are exactly as happy as they are, (laughs) which should show how happy we are. But yes, Elizabeth, thank you so much for supporting the show. And of course, thank you to all of our existing producer-level patrons keeping the show going. Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Adam Hartwick, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Catherine Lee, Siobhan Ellsbury, Shubidubidu, Godzilla got busy, Steph Curry for three, Bang. He sells seashells, LeBron James, Matt Barger, NBA legend Robert Zachary, No Jazz No Pizza, Eileen Gazesh, Avatar Kayushi, and Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls. I mean, considering the quality of pun work in the names of our patrons, I have some pretty high hopes for these bird hashtags. Yeah, like our listeners can make it happen. We can do something. I it's just it's hard. Sugan doesn't work. Magoo. <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. Well, the real trick is that you want to incorporate both names because you don't want it to just be like hashtag happy bird day because that would be fun, but it doesn't include Rapino. It's rude. Yeah. The problem is that Sue Bird is a name of two one syllables and then Megan Rapino is two syllables and then three syllables. So it's chunky. It is chunky. Did you have a wedding hashtag? I'm I'm forgetting now. It was hashtag Mike and Kelly take the leap. Okay. Because it was on leap day and we couldn't find a good combination of our two names. Beck Bert. Schumann, Mike Kelly, like there was not a lot of good stuff going on there. So we figured let's just make it about the actual day and have some fun with it. Well, I'll tell you what, it was a wonderful day, but I'm just realizing now as you bring that up again, that it was particularly cruel that we have to do an extra day of 2020. What the hell? (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) How could we have known? Also a wild thing to talk about. My wedding was this year somehow. February was somehow this year. I think I just wished you guys a happy 20-year anniversary, because that's how long it's felt <laughs> since I was at that wedding. Yeah, I think we're on to the styrofoam anniversary now. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know who else is keeping the podcast going, much like love keeps a marriage together? Beautiful. Uh, I bet it's our sponsor. It is our sponsor. This sponsor for this episode is Shaker and Spoon, which is very timely, given that we are recording this on November 3rd, Election Day, at 2 p.m., so... Who knows what's happening? But uh, Shaker and Spoon helps you make cocktails, and that could be very helpful for me in a couple of hours. So basically, Shaker and Spoon is a delivery box that will send you all of the ingredients and the recipes to make four servings of three different cocktails, all using the same liquor. All you need to do is buy the bottle of booze. They have everything else. And then you can make a bunch of fun drinks. I've made a 
good chunk of boxes with them. And I appreciate that the recipes they give you are for three very different drinks so they can expand your horizons. And you can have fancy cocktails because can't go to bars and you shouldn't if you can. So uh, Shaker and Spoon's here for you. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I, d- I don't want to be the cliche, but I, I do feel that there will be some drinks in my future for the rest of the day. Oh, definitely. I have my happy drinks prepared, spicy margaritas, and my somber drinks prepared, whiskey sour. So whatever, <laughs> uh, whatever vibe I need, I'm ready for it. And if you want to get in on this and get some wonderful ingredients and instructions on how to make drinks in your possession, you can go to shakerandspoon.com slash horse hoops and you'll get $20 off your first box. Boxes are between 40 and 50 bucks. So this is like half off, which by my math is a pretty good deal. So again, shakerandspoon.com slash horse hoops. Get some ingredients to make some cocktails and save some money. Do it. So with that all taken care of, we can get into our first official segment of the show, which we like to call Full Court Press. Get it? Like the news? I do. Oh, wow. So succinct. So, Adam, of course, as always happens when we record an episode of Horse, something big breaks immediately after we stop hitting record. (laughs) The first of which was last time when we recorded, the NBA announced that they are trying to get the season to start on December 22nd, which is a month and a half away. It's very soon. <laughs> it's very soon. And it's it's weird. You know, we're as, as you alluded to, we're recording this on November 3rd, which is usually right around the time that the NBA has begun. And it's a little weird that that's not the case. Although time feels so strange anyway that I don't feel like I'm missing it because the NBA season just ended. Yeah, it's strange. The turnaround would be so quick. We would be talking about just a few months. Usually you get a whole summer. People can rest and rehab and train with the team. And if you get a draft pick, they have a lot of time to get accustomed to being on the roster and all of that. The reason why they are trying to do this is A, so that they can get the 2021-2022 season back on their real regular schedule, B, so that they can make more money, and C, so that they can specifically not lose out on that Christmas money because Christmas basketball games is a really big thing. Thanksgiving's got football, Christmas has basketball, and uh, it just seems very rushed, and there's already rumblings that it might not actually start until January. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like, especially for the teams that played deep into the playoffs, it would kind of be asking too much. Um, and and it seems like there would be a huge, huge advantage for the teams who either got eliminated early or the eight teams that didn't even play in the bubble. So obviously, a lot of those eight teams, ours included, are probably still not going to be great. <laughs> but considering that these are players who haven't been in competitive games since March, compared to dudes who spent three plus months in the bubble playing really intense games, uh, it doesn't really seem fair. Yeah. Danny Green, I believe on a podcast said that LeBron might just take a month off if that was the case. He's just, you know, carried a team for a very long time and he needs more time to rest. Otherwise he might get injured during the season. So he might just chill for a month. And how could you blame him really? Yeah. He's getting up there in age. So it makes sense. So we'll see. A lot of the initial rumblings were that Martin Luther King Day was the set of when they were going to try to return. So that would be January 15th ish. So there is still the chance that that gets pushed back. So December 22 isn't set in stone. But what is set is the NBA draft, which is coming up on November 18th. So a couple days after we will drop this episode, it'll be our last episode before the draft happens. Both of our teams have pretty high picks in the draft. Yep. There have been some links to your Chicago Bulls getting LaMelo Ball, uh, son of LaVar, and all the drama that comes along with it. How do you feel? How's it going? I mean, I, I would be excited to have LaMelo Ball 
on the team, despite the drama that LeVar Ball would inevitably bring along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the latest projections still show the Bulls drafting Avdija. It looks like LaMelo is probably going to go to the Hornets at number three. But look, I mean, I think he's a great player. I, I think it would be very interesting. And and either way, it gives me a little bit of hope that no matter what, the Bulls are going to add a player who is good to their team. That's all I, <laughs> that's all I want. Is that so much to ask, really? No. And the Knicks are in an interesting position where this draft in particular is a very confusing one in that most drafts usually you'll have your set tiers. Mm -hmm. Like you usually have one guy who's clearly number one, then some two to four where any of them could make it. And then you have like a five to eight chunk. Like usually there's groups of three or four where there's distinct tiers. Yeah, there's no Zion this year. No. So this draft is strange because there's no one set like this guy's the guy. And then there are three players at the top that people kind of like. And then from four to 15, it's like, who the hell knows? Right. So the Knicks are at eight and we have this interesting position where we're probably just going to have to pick whoever's left. And that makes it incredibly high stakes because the Knicks being not the brightest organization, we could have the situation where someone who's very good is available and then we pass on them and then we look really bad. So I'm absolutely terrified. Yeah, yeah. But I think there's also less room for second guessing considering that, to your point, a lot of guys are kind of in that same category where it's like, we don't know exactly what they'll be. Right. I'm trying to rest easy knowing that this draft is such a crapshoot that if we make a poor decision, it's kind of like who could have known because there's no real consensus. But because of it, the draft will also be interesting because there might be a lot of trades that could happen. People are going to take players based on preference Mm -hmm. and not necessarily, oh, this guy should go third or whatever. So there might be a lot of teams trying to trade so that they can get a specific person that's still left on the board. I think there's going to be a lot of trades and it's going to be very dramatic. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And the other thing about the NBA wanting to resume by Christmas is that if they try to do that, you're leaving basically a month after the draft. So the work that GMs usually get to do over multiple months of acquiring free agents, of making trades, has to be condensed into like a week or two to even have the opportunity to get these guys into training camp. So it just, it doesn't really seem feasible, to be quite honest. It's going to be wild. It's going to be very ridiculous. I'm very intrigued to see what happens. The final bit of news to cover here is that the Sixers have been making a lot of moves. They hired Doc Rivers as a coach. He used to be the coach of the Clippers. Doesn't have the best playoff track record, but he's very well respected by players, so maybe that can help with all the players on the Sixers roster. And they also hired Daryl Morey, who used to be the GM head of basketball operations at the Rockets. He left the Rockets probably mostly because their roster is not looking great future-wise and their owner sucks. It's like James Dolan light and is not a good person. Yeah. So he got out of that situation. Now he's being the head of basketball operations for the Sixers. They also extended their GM Elton Brand, even though they just hired someone to basically be his boss, which is very interesting. So a lot of, lot of stuff going on in Sixerland, but basically Daryl Morey is a genius of basketball in making lots of analytics-based moves. Elton Brand, their GM that they just extended, is a very much players around the league respect him kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And Doc Rivers is just a great locker room presence. So it feels like they've gone all in on trying to reshape their front office. And it's going to be very interesting. You have to be excited if you're a Sixers fan. There's no other way to look at it. I mean, when you're getting mm-hmm. a, a coach and a head of basketball operations of that caliber, they're already a good team. Yeah. So uh, I like if I had to bet on whether or not I thought the Sixers would win a title in the next five years, I actually would probably take that bet. Yeah, it's interesting because the roster is not necessarily in the greatest 
position right now. They have a lot of ugly contracts to deal with, like Tobias Harris and Al Horford. But yeah, hiring those two guys is like the front office equivalent of getting two really good players. Yeah. So it's just a question of what kind of magic can Daryl Morey work from a trade perspective to try to make the roster look a little bit better and get rid of some of the fits that did not work very well this year. Right. And then can Doc bring them together and make Joel Embiid and everybody get along? And I have a lot of faith in Doc. And I think if you polled players, would would you or would you not want to play for Doc Rivers? It's almost impossible to imagine anyone saying no to that. Mm-hmm. I don't think players have lost confidence in Doc's ability to coach. And as far as Daryl Morey is concerned, it's equivalent to me to like the Cubs getting Theo Epstein. Like you're getting somebody who is at such a high level. Shout out to our number one baseball <laughs> listener, uh, Siobhan Ellsbury. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully the Mariners will get Theo Epstein at some point. But yeah, it is a huge upgrade because really what you're doing is you're changing the culture there. And the Sixers had already started doing that with the whole trust the process thing. But to have someone like Morey at the helm. There's no way you can look at that as anything other than a really good thing. Yeah, I think it'll be good for them. My big tinfoil hat conspiracy that I want to happen is I want Daryl Morey, who used to work under Sam Hinkie, to now hire Sam Hinkie, the man who started Trust the Process at the Sixers. Bring him back. The prodigal son returns. The process part two is here. It would make me very excited. So that concludes our first segment of the show, Full Court Press. Get it like the news. Oh, yeah. So today on That Actually Happened, the bubble. Ah, the bubble. The bubble was a thing (laughs) that happened. It did. And it's not something that we necessarily take for granted, but I think a lot of casual basketball fans don't really know the amount of work that went into pulling that off. And so now that we've finished the NBA season, I thought it would be a good time to explain what the hell actually happened to allow the bubble to exist. I like this. I think that's a great idea. There's a lot that went into it on a logistical perspective. And just look at all the other sports that are messing things up and the NBA didn't. Right. And the NBA was first. Yep. At least compared to the American sports like baseball and football that are now struggling a bit. Exactly, exactly. And the NBA and NHL pulled it off seamlessly, but we didn't know how it was going to go. And the NBA, kind of as they always are, are at the forefront of really everything. So a little background here for most people, even if you're not a big basketball fan, the NBA shutting down the regular season was like the first big marker of how serious the pandemic was. This was March 11th. The NBA suspended the season after Utah Jazz and Rudy Gobert tested positive for COVID-19. And as they say, Gobert or go home. And uh, <laughs> people went home for quite a while. Um, <laughs> well, we found our episode title. So. Exactly. <laughs> there it is. Always nice when we figured that out early. Now, on June 4th, after almost three months without basketball, the NBA Board of Governors approved the resumption of the NBA season to be played at Walt Disney World with all games to be played in the Epcot ball. That's a lie, but I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to see if you were paying attention. That'd be very good. I also got to say, the NBA getting shut down by the Gobert thing mm-hmm. it will forever, at least for me, be one of those I remember exactly where I was and exactly what I was yep. doing moments. What were you doing and where were you? I was in my apartment and I specifically had had a really busy week because I had just come back from our honeymoon, Kelly and I, and I had not done a lot of work, obviously, in the days leading up to the wedding and then all of the wedding and the honeymoon. So I remember Monday and Tuesday were really stressful for me catching up on a bunch of stuff. And then this was either Tuesday night or Wednesday night. I specifically blocked out that evening because there were multiple basketball games on that I wanted to watch. And I just use it as a relaxing, I'm going to sit down and just watch basketball for like four and a half consecutive hours and it's going to be great. And then none of the games happened. (laughs) Wow. I had kind of a unique experience that night in that 
I wasn't looking at my phone for three hours, mm. which rarely happens. Uh, frankly, I should probably do that more. But <laughs> I was at the time I was taking a storytelling class. So it's kind of like a stand up and storytelling sort of thing mm -hmm. that my friend was running. And just out of respect, like when you got there, we would go over to his apartment at like 630. And from 630 to 930, it was kind of understood like your phones are in your bag or in your pocket and you're not looking at your phones and we're engaged. And I remember all of us kind of taking out our phones at the same time. And there being this collective like, oh, shit, like everybody just had a bunch of texts from people about like, did you see what happened with the NBA? Did you hear about Tom Hanks? And it was like very clear immediately that things were pretty serious. Also, alternate uh, title for this episode, The Gobert Report. Just came up with that. Just came up with that. Um, now, I didn't remember this, but apparently there was also another proposal for a second bubble to be hosted in Chicago for the eight teams not invited to the Disney bubble so that they yep. would also have some sort of competitive play. But ultimately, that plan fell through. And as fans of two of these eight teams, the Bulls <laughs> and the Knicks, I think you and I can both agree that competitive play is probably a little generous. Yeah, just because both teams are equally bad doesn't necessarily mean it's good competition. <laughs> no, not at all. And my favorite part is that <laughs> this proposal ended up being nicknamed named the Delete 8, which is just <laughs> hilarious. So that didn't happen. But back to the real bubble where, you know, competent franchises play. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In June, the league outlined six phases to ensure a smooth transition into the bubble and a successful end to the season. And I'll give you the Cliff Notes version of what these phases entailed. Phase one of the plan consisted of players traveling back to the home cities of their respective teams, because obviously many of them had been quarantining elsewhere. In phase two, they started getting COVID tests every other day. In phase three, Mandatory individual workouts were conducted at team facilities, but group workouts at that time were still prohibited. Phase four, the teams traveled to Disney and conducted practices. And basically what happened is any player who tested positive in the previous phases was not allowed to travel there. Like they had to wait until they were medically cleared. Right. And then once teams arrived in Orlando, players and staff were isolated in their rooms and required to pass two tests 24 hours apart before being let out of the quarantine in their hotel rooms. Yeah, that travel thing happened to James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I, I think this is an exercise in like doing things the right way. Yeah. As became abundantly clear by the end of the bubble season. Finally, uh, during phase five, teams played three scrimmages against the other teams staying at the same hotel. So they're kind of like little by little widening their circles within the bubble. And then finally during phase six, regular season seeding games and playoff games began. And as teams were eliminated, players and staff on those clubs also had to pass one final COVID-19 test and of course be negative before they were allowed to leave Disney World. So <laughs> there were a lot of precautions in place. And as we alluded to several times during the season, the NBA had an almost unbelievable amount of rules in place, including a rule book of over 100 pages. And of course, what became known as the snitch hotline, <laughs> where people could anonymously report players who were breaking the rules. <coughs> Dwight Howard. Oh, a lot of people. Yeah. Daniel House. Kelly Oubre tweeting, you can get food delivery. OHJK. You can't, Rishwan yeah, Holmes. Yep, yep. Uh, also, I'm realizing that doing the cough, cough thing these days is kind of scary. Uh, that's Gosh, so many things are going to be forever different now. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, it's, it, don't do the cough, cough thing. I, I said a bad example. I'm sorry, everyone. Um, <laughs> now, throughout the entire three plus months of the bubble, only four players were cited for breaking protocol, uh, including infamously Lou Williams and his love of thighs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no innuendo there at all. Now, things were not necessarily smooth in the beginning, particularly as players were forced to do that quarantine in their rooms. 
and had what can only be described as LaGuardia Airport quality meals delivered to them. Uh, but after that initial period, things actually went almost impossibly well. One interesting element of the bubble that I read about in a great piece from Paolo Ugetti at The Ringer is that there were a number of players who were either recovering from injuries or who knew they wouldn't get much playing time who still chose to come to the bubble. Now, most notably, this included veterans like Tyson Chandler and Udonis Haslam, who very easily could have stayed home, but knew that their value to their teams went far beyond their minutes, which became very clear, especially for a guy like Haslam, who really was kind of like a secondary coach on that Miami Heat team. Mm -hmm. Then there were players like Dwight Powell, Courtney Lee, and Jeremy Lamb, who were just a few of the guys who were rehabbing from injuries, but chose to do so in Orlando, even though they had the option to stay in the cities that their teams usually play in, just so that they could be there with their teammates, and as a number of them alluded to in this article, be a part of something that was an incredibly unique moment in time. Like, I think a lot of the players were aware of, they were aware of the risks, but they were also aware of the fact that, like, it's a very kind of special experience. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's unique, and I don't know everyone's individual situation, but I don't know. I would want to be with the team, especially if the team is making a playoff run. If your team ends up going all the way and winning, you want to be there for that. Totally. And, and also, considering everything that they put in place, you could make the argument that, you would be safer, just on a personal level, you would be safer in the bubble than you would be out of the bubble. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously for people with family members who are high risk or, or that sort of thing, like makes total sense that it just wasn't worth the risk for a lot of people. But yeah, I mean, I, I have to imagine it was a really unique experience. Now, ultimately the NBA invested $190 million Whew. to make the bubble happen, which sounds like a lot of money because it is a lot of money. But that investment was able to recoup a whopping $1.5 billion that would have been lost had the NBA season not been played to completion. Pretty good return on investment. I would say. Now, the most impressive part of what was really an experiment when it began was that players arrived on July 22nd, and when the Heat and Lakers left on October 11th, it had been 100 days. And during that 100 days, there were exactly zero cases of COVID-19 in the bubble. Like, Wild. it's hard to overstate how impressive that is. And frankly, the amount of work and sacrifice that went into making that happen, because that could have gone awry in any number of ways. Yeah, they had a really good system set up. I got to see a good chunk of it because Matisse Teibel, who's on the Sixers, has a really good bubble YouTube vlog series yeah. about it. And just from those videos, they get tested all the time. Yeah. And they have all their check-ins that they have to do, and they're very strict. And, you know, if you're going to try to play a very high contact sport where it's very easy to spread it. If someone on the court has it, everybody's getting it. Right. It makes sense that they took it so seriously and it makes me happier. I would rather see players, fans, whatever, groan about, oh man, this is such an annoying process versus the free-for-all that's happening in the NFL right now. Well, right. And, and I think, unfortunately, we may be looking at that same sort of situation with the NBA if they're not smart about it, because at this moment, the plan for the NBA is not to go back to the bubble. It's to be playing games in empty stadiums, but then they're kind of running the same risk that baseball and football have. And mm -hmm. we've seen how that's worked out, particularly in baseball, where quite literally a player who tested positive for COVID-19 during the game ended up going and celebrating with his team, which is just like unspeakably irresponsible responsible. So awful. I can't believe that dude did that. It's, yeah, it's really, it's really crappy. Now, it's unclear what the legacy of the bubble will be. And the league, of course, hopes that it will never have to play under these circumstances again. But for a lot of people, 
and I very much include myself in this category, watching those games really got me back into basketball in a way that I hadn't been in quite some time. Like, you're a huge basketball guy, you're ride or die with the Knicks, with basketball in general, but to be quite honest, like, my interest in basketball is very much impacted by how the Bulls are at any given moment. And over the past few years, like, they've been really bad and it's made me less engaged with the NBA as a whole. And that was completely not the case for me watching these bubble games. Like I, it was the first time I really felt like I loved the NBA as much as I used to. Also doing this podcast doesn't hurt, but like it was, it was a cool experience. And I think I can speak for both of us when I say that no NBA fan will ever forget the experience of watching games in the bubble. Nah, just from a different viewership perspective in that games were on all the time. The games went quicker it seems and the quality was really solid because players weren't traveling and stuff so the quality of basketball was really good and then obviously you have really big moments that you won't forget like the Bucks sitting out a game and protesting there are so many huge things that happened on the court off the court etc it's just so memorable yeah it, you're right it's hard to quantify in ways other than just saying that it's unforgettable and unique because there's just so much that happened. Absolutely, and that actually is a, is a perfect transition into how I'm going to end this segment. I think most importantly, as we record this episode on the afternoon of Election Day, perhaps the greatest legacy of the NBA bubble will have been the incredible leadership shown by players and coaches to speak out for mm -hmm. social change. Now, as a result of actions taken by players to use their platforms as a means of activism, at this very moment that we're recording this episode, people all across the country are voting in NBA arenas right now. Huge. It's awesome. Yeah, that would not have happened without players and, and coaches stepping up. And fans of every race and political background watched games with Black Lives Matter emboldened on the court. Like Jamal Murray balled the hell out with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor's faces on his shoes. And because no one can say it better than him, I'll let Barack Obama have the final word on the importance of this moment in history. I think you guys are setting the tone for a lot of young people coming up and a lot of other athletes in other leagues, right? Because we saw what happened after Milwaukee and the NBA players did what they did. WNBA players, you start seeing soccer players, you start seeing NFL players doing stuff, baseball. Uh, you guys really showed leadership on this in a way that uh, deserves a lot of credit and uh, made me real proud. And that actually happened. Let's... Awesome. I love ending it on that note. I would hope that the lasting legacy of the bubble is the activism angle of it. It just feels like it's something that the players have always wanted and wanted to be more in the forefront and just never really stuck in a meaningful way. But now with the bubble, like you said, Black Lives Matter on the court, vote on all the shirts. They had the little NBA activism type commercials playing during the games. I would hope that that continues. And mm -hmm. I would love to see the NBA get up to the level where the W WNBA is in terms of activism. The WNBA and in the Wubble, they took it to the next level with Breonna Taylor on the jerseys and different protests from what they wore to sitting out games. They have been always outspoken and it was nice to see the NBA kind of step up to the plate as well. And hopefully that continues to go throughout the regular seasons when they're not bubbles anymore. Just look at all the Instagram and Twitter accounts for the NBA and the WNBA ever since the bubble happened. Just like posted on posts on posts about voting and activism and getting out there and interviews with current players and old players. I hope it just becomes a part of basketball now. I think it is. I don't I don't think you can go back at this point. And mm -hmm. obviously there's still a hell of a lot more work to be done in this country and in the world. But you think about how people reacted to Colin Kaepernick four or five years ago mm -hmm. and the fact that we watched an NBA Finals where the vast majority of players were kneeling during the anthem and people recognized what that meant. Of course, there are people who feel some type of way about it, but like largely people realized what that statement was about. And it's not about disrespecting the flag. It's not about disrespecting the troops. It's not about disrespecting America. It's about wanting America to be better. Definitely. I hope it's one of those things 
where we look back at the Kaepernick thing and think, I can't believe we reacted that way. Mm -hmm. Like, I hope we are all as I am. Like, I hope everyone just becomes ashamed of it and people realize that that's not how we should treat a peaceful protest at all. So it's good to see that the NBA did it in the bubble and I hope they keep doing it. Agreed. Mm -hmm. One, two, three. Three, two, one. Three on three. Well, on that wholesome note, let's go to a very silly three on three that I have prepared. (laughs) So do you recall what happened with Adrian Wojnarowski in 2018 when he first signed with ESPN and covered the draft? Mm, I don't. Drop a Woj bomb on me. Oh, here's a Woj bomb. He had to tweet synonyms to skirt an NBA rule. What the hell? Okay, so these are the three best and the three worst tweets from Woj's <laughs> historic 2018 Twitter extravaganza. I, I almost don't know if this is niche enough. <laughs> so what happened was in the offseason before the 2018 draft, Adrian Wojnarowski, Woj, who is this big guy on Twitter who made his career out of getting scoops about trades and draft picks and NBA inside stuff, his entire career is basically being an insider that tweets out breaking news before anyone else has broken it. His original platform before he was over with ESPN was with Yahoo, and Yahoo really didn't have anything going for them except for Woj. And then later, his apprentice, who grew to be bigger with Yahoo once Woj left, Shams Charania, the two of them were just breaking news all the time. So ESPN gave Woj a very, very large contract, multiple millions of dollars per year, to jump over to ESPN and join their coverage. Now, what Woj would do in the years leading up to the draft, so most notably in 2017, is before the announcements would happen, he would tweet out who was going to pick what. So normally when the NBA does the draft, there's this big TV show. It's the thing that could take 10 minutes and they stretch it into an hour. It's horrible. It's a garbage viewing experience, Mm -hmm. but I watch it every year and I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) But what they basically do is you have the team go up, They have the standard time to make their pick, which is like 10 or 15 minutes. And then you have some basketball analysts talking about who they think they should pick, who they think they will pick, who's left on the board, et cetera, et cetera. And then Adam Silver will walk up and say, with the first pick in the draft, the New York Knicks select Mike Schubert, starting point guard, number 17, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) And then they go on to the second team, the third team, and so on. But what Woj started doing was he would tweet it before they made the announcement. And like, Sometimes hours before, when he knew a team was going to pick someone, he would just tweet out, the Timberwolves are taking Carl Anthony Towns with the number one pick. And it would just ruin the coverage that ESPN had on the draft. Right. Now, when he worked for Yahoo, this wasn't really that big of a deal. But when ESPN signed him, they had more interest in it because ESPN is the channel that was broadcasting the draft coverage. The NBA also did not like that Woj was doing this because it made people not want to watch the draft. I'll just see what Woj tweets on Twitter and then I won't have to waste an hour and watch a bunch of commercials. So the NBA asked ESPN, hey, could you try to tell Woj not to do this. So there's no like legal ramifications that they're going around, but the NBA to try to make people want to actually watch the draft asked ESPN to ask Woj, hey, can you tell him to not do this thing? But like, this is how Woj operates. This is his whole existence Mm -hmm. is breaking news. So instead, he just tweeted a bunch of ways of saying who people are going to pick without being direct about it. So he would say things like, this team is preferring to choose this guy with the number eight pick, or this team is determined to sign so-and-so. So he had all these little ways of dancing around it, and I have for this three-on-three, three, the three best and the three worst. That's great. So 
For the worst, the third worst that I have is Woj's tweet that says, quote, the Utah Jazz have no plans to pass on Grayson Allen with the 21st pick. They're definitely not gonna not draft Grayson Allen. <laughs> yeah, so I docked this one because of the negative situation, but the main reason that I docked it is because there was just a better version that he did later. So when he did the earlier tweets, it was just kind of normal stuff where he was saying it but not saying it. They have determined they are leaning towards stuff like this. A lot of passive voice. Yeah, just a lot of these kind of things where you know what he's saying, but he's technically not just saying straight up, the Bulls are going to take blank. Right. But as the night went on and everybody caught on to what he was doing, he started getting spicier with the wordplay. So that's why this one with the 21st pick is a little spicier. But the reason I've made it third worst is because he just did a better version of this for the 25th pick. He said, quote, the Lakers are unlikely to resist Mo <laughs> Wagner with the 25th pick. Unlikely to resist is very good. <laughs> it, it's very interesting, though, because if there is no rule against him actually saying, like, the Lakers are going to pick Mo Wagner, it almost seems like a, like a lot of effort to go through wording it like that. It was just a wink, wink, nod, nod to, you guys have asked me to do this thing and I'm not going to, but I'm gonna kind of play your game. Right, I'm not gonna not listen to you. <laughs> So the second worst that I have is about the number 10 pick. It says, the Sixers are targeting Villanova's Macau Bridges with number 10. Now, the reason I've identified this one is because of something incredibly awkward that happened on the draft night with him. So the Philadelphia 76ers drafted Macau Bridges. Now, a normal thing that will happen in the draft is there will be trades in play. Sometimes before your little 15 minutes to choose her up, the trade is finalized. So the people will know, oh, hey, the Hawks are about to draft and they've picked Luka Doncic, but we all know that there's a trade and he's going to the maps. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that happens. Other times, the deal isn't set in stone. So a player will get picked and then you think one team has him and then a little bit later, say in between the 12th and the 13th pick, then Adam Silver will have to say, oh, by the way, that guy who just got picked number 10 is actually traded to this team. Right. So that happened with this situation, which is normally not a big deal, not necessarily anything awkward. The problem is that Macau Bridges' mom works for the 76 Oh, I remember this. They made this huge thing about how heartwarming it is. She's this loving mother and she's worked for the Sixers for all these oh, years. Man. And it's just so great to have him on the team. And how awesome is this? And they made all this big hullabaloo. And then two or three picks later, they found out he was actually traded to the Phoenix Suns. Oh, man. <laughs> and another problem on top of this is that Macau Bridges didn't know this. So they kept interviewing him and he was really excited about it. And he was happy and he had no idea. Yeah, it was aw. It was just a train wreck. I remember that. Also, by the way, uh, I feel like hullabaloo is very much a, a Joe Biden word. Ooh, yeah. Hullabaloo, malarkey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. Now, the reason this looks bad looking back is when it says Sixers are targeting Villanova's Macau Bridges, it gives this weird unintentional subtone of, did they just do this <laughs> to get some PR and stuff? Obviously, Woj would have had no way of knowing all of this would unfold. Right. But also in general, I, targeting just doesn't ever seem like a fun word. Yeah. It always feels a little gross, so I put it on my worst. Feels a little aggressive. Yeah, yeah. it feels a bit much. This is making me excited for the draft, by the way. 
I think now Woj just tweets the normal stuff. <laughs> so I don't know if this is ever going to happen again, but we can dream. We can hope. But just the draft itself. I yeah. mean, do you also get an endorphin rush every time you hear dee 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 Oh, yes. <laughs> that is the little jingle they play before the pick happens. And yeah, it's huge. I just get really nervous. As a Knicks fan in recent years where I've really paid attention to the draft, it's, it's very bad because I've had years where I really, really wanted us to pick a guy and then we pick him and then that person turns out to be not that great. And then we've had years where I really, really wanted us to pick someone else mm-hmm. and then we don't pick him and then I get really mad and then that guy turns out to be really bad. So basically, I just shouldn't want anyone. I'm I'm bad at this. You probably shouldn't. <laughs> you're, you're ready for this pun? So what you're saying when they drafted RJ, you just had to grin and bear it? Oh, that's very good for RJ Barrett. But no, I actually really liked RJ <laughs> Barrett and he's been pretty good. It's He could break the curse, perhaps. Perhaps. So the number one worst Woj tweet from 2018 is one that I have read so many times now, and I'm still confused by it, and I hope you can make sense of it, maybe because you're a Bulls fan. It was about the Bulls pick. It says, quote, the Bulls are on Boise State's Chandler Hutchinson. He was shut down in workouts with Chicago Promise. So first off, I think it's a weird construction to say that the Bulls are on Chandler Hutchinson. I feel like saying someone is in on him would have made more sense, even if it's not grammatically correct. It feels like more of the normal thing to say. But just to say the Bulls are on him feels strange. Does that mean like they're monitoring him and like if he falls in the draft? Maybe that's what it is, but it just feels like there should have been some other word. They are locked on. They are set on. They are determined to. Like, it just feels weird to say just they are on. And then he was shut down in workouts with Chicago Promise. Is Chicago Promise a thing? Is that like New York grit Chicago Promise? Actually, the Chicago Promise are an expansion team. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask, are they the local soccer team or something? It is a very, it's, it almost implies that the Bulls had promised him that they would be picking him. But shut down makes it feel like they didn't like him. Well, shut down, I feel like is usually a term that's used when somebody, because of injury, is forced to stop doing what they're doing. Oh, okay. So that's what shut down means. Like that's, I feel like they use that in baseball a lot. Like when you hear about like a pitcher getting shut down, it's because he was going through his process and then, you know, tweaked something in his elbow and they're shutting him down. So that's what that means, I think. Maybe the workouts with Chicago had promised they were going well, but then he tweaked his hamstring and they said, ah, it was so good anyway, it doesn't matter. I mean, there's no way to frame this where it's not phrased incredibly <laughs> awkwardly, but I am trying to, to break down what that might mean. It was just really chunky and it wasn't as much fun. I didn't like it. So that's why it landed in the worst spot. But now we can get to the bests. Let's do it. Which are fun. So this was hard. It was so hard just to pick three because so many are fantastic. So for the five on five, I'm going to have a field day. So the number three best, this is for the 24th pick in the draft. So this was when Woj was far into spicy territory. Quote, Portland has a laser on Anthony Simons. Ooh. I'm picturing like a laser pointer on some guy who's sitting in the draft room. Him. This is the one we want. Pew! <laughs> I just like a laser on him. I think it's very fun. I think it works for the Blazers because laser, blazer, but then also their logo kind of looks like lasers coming out of a swoopy design. So I'm very, very here for Portland has a laser on Anthony Simons. I'm, I'm in on the word laser. I'm very, very here for it. So that's the third best. Second, this one is just, oh, 27th pick. So again, we're well into spicy territory. Boston is is tantalized by Robert Williams with the 
seventh pick. Did Walt Frazier write that? <laughs> Tantalized and fantasized about Robert Williams. Tantalizing the and infantilizing the precocious neophyte. <laughs> Tantalized is so good. There is one that almost got this pick where they said that someone was enamored with, but I was reading different websites that were talking about these, and apparently, and I just was bad at grammar here, apparently when you say enamored, you're supposed to say enamored to and not enamored with, but I always thought it was enamored with. I have only ever said with. Yeah, so um, that could be a fun grammar lesson of the day, but I had to delete that from my top three because of grammar specifics. But tantalized, I just love the thought of being tantalized about a draft pick. Just, oh, the thought of Robert Williams on the team. Huh? Like, it just feels like tantalized means mouthwatering. Yeah. And it's fun to talk about a human being <laughs> and not food when you're tantalized. <laughs> So number one is one that requires a little bit of the story here to explain why it is so good. But this pick was by the Brooklyn Nets. It was the 30th pick. So this was the last pick of the first round. So Woj has started off with these normal ones, saying determined, locked on, zeroed in. He got a little spicier with unlikely to resist. The laser got involved, tantalized. But for the final pick, after 29 tweets about all different sorts of synonyms and not just saying, this team is going to pick this guy, his final tweet of the first round was, Brooklyn will select Zaynan Musa. Just, <laughs> just straight up. And just... The dedication after 29 straight tweets of busting out the thesaurus and finding all these different ways to word things and not really repeating yourself over 29 tweets to finally end it with just the biggest fuck you to the whole system and say, Brooklyn will select this guy is so choice, my God. That is pretty great. It seems very much like he was planning that out. I think so. It makes it so calculated for a bit that was already calculated. I also love that in addition to doing all of the work that he had to do to figure out exactly who each team is going to select, on top of that, there was also at least 20 minutes of Woj's day that day where he had to come up with synonyms and just make a big Google Doc with all of the different things. I mean, it's literally the Twitter version of the thing that kids do where it's like, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you. It's like, yeah, but you're like an inch away from my face <laughs> with your finger. It's really solid. I just, I love that it just slowly as the night went on, it just became more of a wink wink and it started with him doing it. It turned into him being like, eh, see what I'm doing? Because now I'm saying wild things like you're lasered in on someone. And now I've just ended it with the most obvious, hello, look at this joke I've pulled on you for the past hour or so. My name is Woj. Don't you dare ever try to rein me in again. I'm going to tweet the pics early. You cannot stop me. It's definitely a mic drop moment for sure. Truly, it truly is. And that was the mic drop of tweets. And now I am not going to drop my mic because it was expensive, but that is the end of this three on three about Woj's best and worst tweets from the historic 2018 draft tweet extravaganza. I enjoyed that. Thanks for listening to this episode of Horse. Horse is hosted by Adam Mamawala and Mike Schubert. Our editor is Misha Stanton. The social media is run by Mike Schubert. The art is by Allison Wakeman. The music is by Bettina Campamanes. And our website is by Kelly Schubert. Thank you to our producer-level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Adam Hartwick, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Catherine Lee, Siobhan Ellsbury, Shooby Dooby Doo, Godzilla Got Busy, Steph Curry for three. Burn! <laughs> Another haunted pet. <laughs> yeah, it was, Halloween just happened. <laughs> <laughs> he sells seashells, Laurent James, Matt Barger, NBA legend Robert 
Zachary, No Jazz, No Pizza, Eileen Gazesh, Avatar Kyoshi, and Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Horse Hoops and on Twitter at Horse underscore Hoops because Horse Hoops tweeted a regular thing about draft stuff and didn't give a fun synonym. They didn't not do that. <laughs> oh my God. English teachers everywhere are just shuddering. <laughs> <laughs> Check out our website, horsehoops.com, for more of the stuff we talked about, including the full video of Barack Obama on the shop. Highly recommend it. Mm. And uh, maybe some more Woj bombs. Yeah, we'll uh, put a whole bunch of stuff. You can see all the tweets. And if you want to get some bonus content, such as Adam and I talking about other basketball stuff, us turning the three-on-threes into five-on-fives, videos of me and Adam talking about basketball shoes, jerseys, stickers, and more, you can head on over to patreon.com slash horsehoops. And thanks to Multitude for having us as a part of the network. You can listen to a whole bunch of fun podcasts with Multitude, Potterless, Head, Heart, Gut, Meddling Adults, Join the Party, Spirits, Exolore. There's a whole bunch of fun stuff. And if you're all caught up on horse and you need new stuff to listen to, look no further than Multitude shows at multitude.productions. But as we close out this episode, we're going to put our hands in the middle, say something on the count of three. I feel like I want something uplifting because of uh, how scary tonight could go. So maybe if we take it back to where we started this episode with Sue Bird and Megan Rapino, we just say, I do on the count of three. <laughs> All right, let's do it. All right. One, two, three. I, I do. I am very excited at the prospect of their wedding. I hope someone Instagrams the hell out of it so I can feel like I was a fly on the wall. Or if we get invited, maybe we'll get invited. Hey, you never know. You never know. Can't rule it out just yet. <laughs>